Let's use the the verse I'm about to mention, let's use it as a bit of a springboard tonight. So take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 31, verse number 1. Proverbs 31, verse number 1. If I ask this question tonight, I'm assuming that most people would be able to um, not only give a brief answer, but probably a conversation regarding the things, the lessons, the things that you took away from what you watched and what was instilled in you from your mom's. So I thought we would take some time tonight and, and actually address what we're going to call the priorities of motherhood, the priorities of motherhood. And, um, you know, when you start to think about, you know, things that you learn from your mom, this is a rather, I don't know, insightful list of some things that one person said, I learned a lot of lessons from my mom. He said, my mom taught me the value of a clean home when she told my brother and me, listen, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning the house. Okay, so sometimes moms are like that. My mother taught me the value of passionate prayer when she said, you'd better pray that that comes out of the carpet. (laughs) I can remember that one myself. Uh, My mother taught me logic when she said, if you fall out of that swing and break your neck, I'm not taking you swimming later. (laughs) That is the love of a mother. My mother taught me about the consequence, about uh, the value of consequences when she warned me. And I heard this from my mom and my dad. And I did hear this, and I'm assuming you did too. The value of consequences when she warned, you keep on crying, and I'll give you something to cry about. How many of you heard that one? Yeah, I think everybody. Okay. Uh, my mother taught me the value of stamina and perseverance. I heard this one. When she said, you will sit there until all of that spinach is gone. I sat there a long time. Okay. And my mother taught me that love has boundaries. When she said, when that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. Okay. Well, certainly there are a lot of things that we learn from our moms, and when we look at the passage that is before us tonight, there was some valuable instruction. Look at Proverbs 31, verse number one. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, the prophecy that his mother taught him. There is something significant regarding the lessons learned from the teaching of a mother. And Lemuel is, is essentially an unknown king. There are many that think that that was a special name that was given to Solomon by his mom. But we're not exactly sure who is this. Lemuel means for God. For God. And so when you start to think about this one who is learning some life lessons from his mom. His mom had clearly priorities and she said, these are essentials that I want you to get before you are out from, in a sense, under my instruction. So what are the, I don't know if you boil it down, what are some of what we would call the priorities of motherhood? We're going to look at just a few. I I certainly don't mean this to be extensive, but Let's consider a few of them this evening. First of all, we'll talk about the priority of a pattern. The priority of a pattern. Proverbs chapter 1, still in the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 8 says this. It says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Okay, and the word here in this passage, that simply means to actually receive. So not just hear it like, yeah, 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 I heard you, 
it means hear and then implement. I heard it and I received it. And then hear what? Well, hear the instruction of thy father. Now, I know we're talking about the, the priorities of motherhood, but let's just insert at least momentarily or briefly what it is that is being given to us in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 8. The word instruction here, it actually means discipline, correction, and instruction. And we understand that the discipline is often the instruction. In other words, our goal in life is to make disciples of our children, followers of Christ. And clearly there is a strong connection between what we know to be the word discipline and disciple. You can't really have one without having the other. And when we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 8, he, it does include both, of course, the father and the mother. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. The, the word law, you know, so get the law of thy mother. We know that there is some sense of, okay, get the instruction of your father, the correction of your father, and don't despise it, receive it. And even before we get to that word law of mother, you know, I, I'm certain that this is important and a necessity for both dads and moms. And, and I know that we live in a world and, and certainly a fallen, broken world where there have always been single dads and, and more often than not, um, if there's going to be one parent, single moms. But the goal, of course, is for a dad and a mom. And then he very specifically, he calls out, he says, okay, dads, you're the ones who are supposed to be leading in the way of discipline. And I, th I think sometimes as dads, we default to moms. Like, well, what do you want to do? Well, what do you think should be done? Clearly, there should be collaboration. But dads, there should be some sense of initiative on your part regarding the discipline, the correction of children. And I also know that we live in a day right now. In fact, if you were to just do a simple Google search on, on should uh, parents use corporal punishment with children, you're going to get some strong um, encouragement that, that would say you should never spank a child. And I know this is controversial, and I also know that, that oftentimes in a world where everything that is said from a pulpit is sometimes really carefully screened, I'm also a firm believer that the timelessness of Bible instruction works as well in 2023 as it ever has. And so when the Bible tells us to, to you know, listen, don't, don't um, despise the chastening of the Lord. Well, why not? Well, because we've had, we've had earthly fathers and they corrected us and we honored them. Don't, don't be frustrated. Hebrews reiterates this whole idea. He says, it's one of the very means by which I know I am a child of God because he keeps correcting me. And, and it's one of the very means by which I know I am hate a loved child. So we'll try to spend a little bit more time on this in, in the future, but let me just at least insert that we do live in a day where maybe because we're getting further and further away from the reality of original sin and that, that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, our children were born sinners, born sinners. 
And there's not this innate goodness and, well, you know, there's just the beautiful innocence of childhood. Innocence in that they haven't yet experienced all the consequence of sin, but not innocent in that they're born just like innocent children. Children are born the same way since Adam sinned, and that is they were born sinful. So what does that mean? Well, because children were born sinners, they have to be taught that sin always has consequence. You know, one of, the re- one of the ways that we know that, that God is a loving, caring God is through the, the, the consistent, loving correction of a parent. When a parent rightly, lovingly corrects a child, and sometimes that is through a physical form of correction. We start to learn that it's a, it's a lot better to obey dad and mom than it is to disobey them. And you say, well, well, I think we're probably teaching them to be violent children. Actually, we're teaching them that the world, we'll touch on this again in a few moments, but we're teaching them that the world was never intended to serve them. They were intended to serve someone higher than them. And when they learn that the world is just supposed to do what I want, they become violent when it doesn't. We start to think that, boy, the world owes me something, and the world does not. We owe God something, and we start to understand, God, I owe you my life. What, what a difference that makes. And you know, one of the things that helps, me, helps us learn that is, wow, God is a loving God, but God does judge sin. There's correction for sin, and, and God corrects the, the, those that do wrong. And you know, God lovingly corrects his own children. I, I think we have, as a, as, a, as a nation, of course, we've strayed far from that, and And I think the church as a whole, I'm not speaking specifically about any one, but I think the church as a whole has trended toward, well, you know, uh, we we just love our children so much, we just couldn't imagine correcting them in a physical manner. Well, the Bible's instruction is one of the very means by which we communicate love is through correction in, at times, a physical manner. You know, what is it that communicates our love, that we, we love them enough to correct them? Well, that is just a, a, a little aside, a little rabbit trail, so to speak, regarding my son here receive, this is to children, receive the correction of your father. And then he says, forsake not the law of thy mother. Do you know the word law there is the word, it's the Hebrew word Torah. Torah. Now we know when we think about the Torah, sometimes we think about the Decalogue, the the Ten, the Commandments. Well, here this word, the word Torah, it's a great word when you think about the priority of a pattern. You say, well, what does the word Torah mean? Well, certainly it means law, means direction, but it also means a custom. It means a manner of, a way of doing something. All right, how many of you um, have moms? Don't raise your hand, but they have a certain way of doing something. Well, this is the way you do this. Do you know one of the beautiful priorities of motherhood is to teach children the way to do this, that, and the other? I mean, how many of you had to teach them to, how many of you ever got sent back when you were told to go wash up for dinner and then your mom actually inspected the washing? How many of you ever had that happen before? Wow, some of you have dirty hands, okay? I had that all the time. Like, okay, go wash up for dinner. And then I'd come back and she'd say, show me your hands. 
So then you got to show your hands. She says, no, 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 go. I said, wash your hands. I didn't say splash water on your hands. Go wash your hands. And did you ever have your mom say, okay, this is how you're going to do this? Do you know what she's doing? How many of you had to teach your children how to brush their teeth? Well, don't raise your hands because some of you say, I'm still working on it. Okay. And they're 19. Okay. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that we do is we have to show the, the way to, the how to. No, we don't do that here. Okay, you might do that at home and it's fine at home. But we're, when we're at someone else's house, you don't do this that way. Do you know what all of this is? Th- this is the priority of a pattern and it's what moms do. You say, well, well what if they want to do it a different way? Listen, it's okay if they come to some different conclusions, but did you know your priority in the home is to say, all right, this is the way we're going to do this. This is the pattern. Do you know the Christian life benefits from a pattern? For example, again, I know this is a little self-serving, but the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Do you know what God gave us with that little piece of instruction? He gave us a pattern. Now, does every church practice that pattern the same way? And the answer is no. It's just like every home might not be assembled the same way. The pattern might not be the same in every home, but the fact that there are patterns established for the home is wonderfully beneficial. For a child to go outside of the home and not have any understanding that, you know, there are certain ways that things are to be done. For them to go out and not know that, they, they begin to go to school and they say, well, well we, I don't have to do that because my mom or my dad, they don't make me do that. Or they go to college or they go to work or they go to life and, and they start to find that, well, well I, wa- I just want to do it this way. It, in my home, they wanted to know what I wanted. In, in our home, it was, not a, uh, it was not this shared democracy in our home. It was actually like a loving monarchy in our home, okay? So there was someone who got to say, this is how we're going to do it. Well, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to go to bed now. I wasn't given a vote in that matter, okay? And, and you know, one of the things that moms help so beautifully in a home is they help us understand there is a pattern and we're going to come along with this pattern. And, and a lot of that is a spiritual pattern that starts to get passed on from one generation to the next to the next. And, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find, you know, any perfect home in Scripture. I'm just saying that as well. In, in fact, I would, I would invite you to, maybe you have it, I, in my, you know, just brief mental process right now, where was the perfect home illustrated to us in Scripture? they seem like they're all somewhat problematic. So the, 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 the directive that we're getting at here is not that you have to have the perfect pattern in your home. And I don't know that God demands so much a perfect pattern as he does for a pattern to be presented. Establish a pattern in your home. And this means that two homes could be patterned differently, but the fact that you're teaching your children to follow a set pattern extremely important and children are not the ones doing the pattern setting it is to be you in fact one of the clearest examples of passing down you know a godly pattern we might even refer to that as a godly a goodly heritage in scripture comes from what we might refer to as a broken home 
Um, we don't know. I, I, I don't have reason to believe that the marriage dissolved, but there are some that believe that, that at least at some point um, the, the dad is, is clearly absent. And we also do know that, that at least we have pretty heavy indication that mom knew Christ and dad did not. Mom was a follower of Jesus and, and dad, um, we don't have any indication that, that he did. You say, well, who are you talking about? Listen to Acts chapter 16, verse number 1. Then came he, that's Paul, to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, uh, but his father was a Greek. Oh, now, does that mean anything to you today? Now, really, quite honestly, today... Um, it shouldn't mean so much to us that a Jew married a Greek. That's, that's to us today, that's nothing. But in, in this day, for a Jew to marry a Greek, this is, um, this is against the Torah. This is against the law. So, so you've got a big issue that's going on. And then the Bible indicates, okay, his mom was a Jew, a Jewess, and she believed, but the father was a Greek. Even, even from the, the information presented, we get the understanding she's a believer, he's not. Well, you've got some serious issues, some tension, some problems in the home. So it's interesting to note that Timothy's father is never throughout Scripture mentioned as a believer. He's the Greek. So this, this must have, when, when she marries, when a Jewess marries a Greek... This had to have broken the heart of Eunice's mother, Lois. But when Paul came and preached in Lystra, they came under the conviction of the gospel. They're saved. And the gospel that reached Timothy's grandmother also reached his mother, and it comes to Timothy as well. 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Well, dad's not mentioned here. He's not part of the discussion. So it is true that, that Eunice had disobeyed the law of God by marrying an unbeliever, a Gentile. And, and she had, in some way, shape, or form, recentered. She became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Please know that the pattern of godliness is something we believe should always be followed, but a failure in any part of our lives, whoever, a wife, a mother, a son, a father, an individual, any person, a failure does not remove the potential for future success, nor does it mean that you cannot begin now with a right pattern. In fact, there is nothing quite like failure to grab our attention and cause us to, with renewed passion and an understanding of our need, begin to establish patterns pleasing to God and helpful for our children. And, and few things, quite frankly, help us to establish patterns more effectively than routine. So, you know, Timothy's dad, I mean, he could talk to him about fishing or the weather or politics or the dog, but not about faith. 
Yet Timothy goes on to become a prominent leader in the church, a godly man, an influential pastor. So I I would at least offer to each of the single moms that may be here or might be listening that you have an incredible potential to be an influence for the cause of Christ. And then you also have a special promise, Psalm 68, verse number 5, that God himself says, a father of the fatherless is God in his holy habitation. God is promising himself as the one who will care for your need. And I might also add that God often uses other godly men to help fill the gap for single moms. So men, whether you're single or married, you say, well, I'm not a dad. Okay, well, well maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder. You, at times, with flexibility in schedule or opportunity for time investment. Or, or maybe some men here whose children are grown and they're out of the home. You, you might even be retired and you'd have opportunity to invest in. You know, there, there is also a pattern in the life of Timothy for someone who stepped in and became a mentor for him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, wow, that's, that's a pretty weighty expression, isn't it? The apostle Paul saying to Timothy, who, who we again, we, we don't know that Timothy really had a godly male influence in his life regarding his own father, Someone steps in and says, hey, listen, I'm going to pour myself into this young man's life. And, and Paul does. And, and Timothy goes on to be a person of wonderful influence because of, I think, the influence of a grandmother, a mother, and another man who stepped in to serve as a person of influence. Let me just mention these last two briefly. The, the second area of priority, the priority of protection. Priority of protection. You know, you, you and I know that mothers are tough, okay? Mothers like, wow, you, you, you we sometimes use the expression, listen, she's like a mama bear right now, okay? Like she is going to take care of those kids. I read this, I read this um, story of a guy, a young police recruit, and um, he is, um, he's taking an exam and he's asked a verbal question. So he's asked the question, okay, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother, Whoa, he raises his eyebrows, he pauses, he thinks, like, wow, what would I do if I had to arrest my own mother? And then he says, oh, I know what I'd do. I would call for backup, okay? And that's a pretty smart young recruit. Um, You know what moms do is moms just do figure out, okay, what am I called to do to protect my child at this age and stage of life? And you also realize you can't protect them from everything. And sometimes that is the greatest protection you can offer your child. Lord, I can't protect them from everything. I'm going to offer them into your hands. I think one of the wonderful Bible examples of this is Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And the Bible says, Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, the mother, and when the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. She protected him. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him, uh, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. You know, the mother of Moses did all she could to protect him, and she did, rightly so, for three months. And then she realized, I can't protect him. And isn't it interesting that the very thing that brought her child back to her was, was her offering the child to God. 
Really, she's saying, God, I I can't protect him any longer. I'm putting this child in your hands. And the very thing that she does by means of offering the child was the means by which the child is returned to her. Moms, I think many times we we say, well, no, I have to do this and I have to hold on and I can't let this happen. And we, we, we work so hard to protect our children that we actually do them some harm. I know you're called with the priority of protection, but the the place that our children are certainly most protected is in the the wonderful care of the one who does the protecting. Let me just mention again the last one, the the priority of a purpose. I wish we had more time with this, but let me at least give it a nod this evening. The priority of a purpose. One of the greatest doors that you can open for your children is the understanding that the world was not created for them. They were created for a higher purpose. They will be most successful when they realize that God has a purpose for them and that purpose involves bringing Him glory. It's the very purpose for which we were created. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1.16 through 18, listen to this passage. For by Him were all things created. Okay, we get that that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he, this is Jesus, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now listen to this, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Have you ever heard a mom so deeply devoted to her children that she says, well, listen, I would do anything for my children. Well, my children are just the world to me. And and then their lives rotate so much around their children, sometimes at the neglect of a relationship with a husband. I I think so often the greatest protection you can give to your children is to have a really great relationship with your husband. They feel the most secure. They're seeing the the right pattern. But sometimes a a, a focus on a child that so makes them the center of attention. I I know when a child's an infant, we had had baby dedication today. It's one of two that we do every year. And so baby dedication and and children come across, they, they demand continual attention. Why do we sometimes refer to a certain age as the terrible twos? Well, well, quite honestly, because a child at the age of two is supposed to learn that, wow, every, every wish and whim of mine is no longer being catered to. I'm being told no more often. I don't like the word we like to share, okay? Things have somehow, you know, disrupted the focus that I have had in life. Why is it that sometimes a child does get a little bothered even when another child is introduced into the family? Because again, that, that singular focus begins to shift. In Revelation 4, verse number 11, the Bible says, For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Isaiah 43, 7 even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. 
it seems as if today we're raising a generation that believes that all things were created for their pleasure, not that they were created for God's pleasure. And when, when any of us, no matter our age or stage of life, believe that all things were created for, for us, as opposed to us being created for him, we're, we're in a world of frustration. The world never cooperates with the idea that, that everything was made for us. But all of creation will cooperate with the understanding that all of it was made for something higher than itself. I believe when we relinquish God-given responsibility of teaching that the world does not revolve around our children, we fail to give them instruction and direction. Don't settle for, I just want them to be happy. True happiness comes from knowing and doing the will of God. And of course, the greatest purpose that you can share with your child is that true satisfaction comes from knowing the source of joy. And that, obviously, is Jesus. Mary Thompson was the one who wrote the song, O Zion Haste. O Zion Haste, thy mission high fulfilling, to tell to all the world that God is light, that he who made all nations is not willing. One soul should perish. Lost in shades of night, publish glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus, redemption and release. And she also wrote this verse, give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest Jesus will repay. May we teach our children to give of their best to the master.